Yeah, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you and bless your people. And those who aren't yours yet, Lord, because they haven't chosen to come to you on according to the arrangement that you offer to us, I pray that their hearts will be open too and they enter into the fullness because you love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The secret sauce. Wouldn't it be great if spiritually there was some secret sauce? Like why do some people have such a more abundant life than other people? Well, they, they got the secret sauce. That's what it is. And uh, some people are like, no, God likes them better. Um, my, my, my spiritual life is weak and my prayers are weak and I don't have joy and peace and I don't have any miracles to talk about because God loved them and decided to arbitrarily give them the secret sauce and pass me up. And I'm being facetious because that's nonsense. Every person who's truly born again, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, has all access to the whole smorgasbord that's available to us as Christians, including the secret sauce that I'm going to talk about, but 57 other varieties of secret sauce, whatever else is available to the Apostle Paul. Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ Jesus. He's not holding out on you. There's something hindering you from having getting access. Now, if you're not born again, some of you are very, very new uh, in the kingdom, but I'm just telling you, maybe, maybe even... You look at me, and you, I've been doing this for 30 years, and i got all kinds of cool stories. And like, oh, I just got to be on the, I'm, not, I'm like the spiritual water boy, spiritual water girl. I'm not really, I'm not going to get in the Super Bowl. I'm not going to get in the game, but, I, you know, I just, I'm just glad to be kind of affiliated with the team. Um, no, it's everybody should be on the, on the field. Everybody should be a player. You don't all have to be evangelists or pastors or even missionaries, but you can all be impact players. Now, this might be a good place to tell my little story here. Stories, everybody looks up. Yeah, you're falling asleep. Oh, story. I like stories. Um, so uh <laughs> after our seminar, gosh, stand track, Ted. I want that building. I want that building. So anyway, just file that away and pray for that. But um after our seminar, and you guys, the majority of the people in this room sat there for two and a half hours learning yesterday because this is a serious church. I was sitting over on the couch and one of our very newest Christians came over and let me tell you some of the details that I didn't know. And I'll probably cry. Because it's okay to cry because Jesus cried about the right things. You know, cut me with a chainsaw, break my leg, and I'm not going to cry. But when you're talking about people, I'll cry. Uh young lady born into a very very difficult situation taken away from her birth mother put into an adoptive family abused in one of the most horrific ways by a religious family so now she's associating jesus with an abuser very confused um she calls the police but before she calls, doesn't call the police, calls 911. Before she calls 911, she says, God, I need you to show me that you're real. This is not a fictional story. This is one of the hundreds of miraculous stories that take place in this church. Hundreds. 
A lot of people move on down the road. We have a high turnover. We've got a lot of college kids. But uh, God, I need you to prove that you're real. 911. Send somebody. I'm going to hurt myself. She's she's at her wit's end. She's throwing her life away in, you know, in a whole bunch of different ways, heading towards despair. Ding dong. Police officer shows up. Guess who? Guess who? Yours truly back there in the kitchen. Our elder. Um, Johnny on the spot. You don't have to be a pastor to be Johnny on the spot in God's kingdom. You can be a businessman. You can be a librarian. You can be, you know, a mom raising her kids. Man, one of the cool, don't stay on track, Ted. One of the coolest stories I ever heard was about a mom who was just raising her kids. Anyone, anyone ever hear the Stephen Wren story? <laughs> you guys got to look that one up. Anyway, stay on track, Tad. So anyway, that's a wild one. And unfortunately, she wasn't in our church, but happens elsewhere. Shares some scripture with her. Encourages her in the Lord. And for her, God just showed up. Says, you need to talk to my wife. Yep, that one right back there. Husband-wife dynamic duo back there in the kitchen. That's Nikki. Now, Nikki shared the love of the Lord with her. Praise for her. She looks hopeless. She looks impossible. How many of you were hopeless and impossible at some point? Let's hear loud. Amen. Impossible. Oh, I don't want to. I heard somebody telling me the other day that somebody won't come to church or doesn't think this church is for them because their situation is impossible and ours, our situations weren't as impossible. I like, you're ridiculous. I guarantee you there's at least 10, 15 people in the church that can beat you down in the impossible category. Were you in a mental hospital? Were you insane? Were you, you know, on the street? Were you hearing a mobs of voices in your head? You know, no, I just get a little mopey sometimes. Yeah, you're not, you're not the top of the pack when it comes to leading the pack when it comes to impossible. Well, anyway, so they fight for her. She surrenders to the Lord. You know, she comes a part of this community. She just happens to be there on Saturday because she wants to go deeper in her relationship with the Lord, and she's here in this body. And uh, when I came back from Kansas City, my house was jammed full of women getting ready to have her baby shower. And uh, so I was like, <laughs> I can't even walk through my own living room because I'm going to disturb, you know, what's going on. But uh, yeah, it's, we all want to be a part of those stories, right? Some of you never have. Yeah, see, I told you. They got the good sauce. I didn't get it. God loves Richard and Nikki. He doesn't love me. He just passes me up all the time. All I got is depression and anxiety and struggles. And Well, I'm going to give you a bitter pill to swallow today, which is I'm going to give you the sauce you don't want. It's the sauce you don't want. We want. We all want to be touched by a magic wand and be that person in the middle of the miraculous situations. And we want to hear sermons that say God can do anything through anybody. It's just his arbitrary choice, choice to throw down the magic 
See, look at the apostles. They were just dumb fishermen, you know. They were out cursing at a bar. They met Jesus. He touched them with the, you know, the magic wand, and suddenly they're out. That is a ridiculous reading of scripture. And what I want to I want to talk to you about something because I've had at least three, maybe four conversations about that. What is the secret sauce? Uh, it is a word that um, is so often misunderstood. In the Bible, a lot of times it's discipline, but you think discipline, and some of you guys had horrendous families, and you think, yeah, that's my dad beating me with a rubber hose out in the backyard for no good reason. No, 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 no. So to get a little uh, better, actually, I'm thinking of Francis Chan. Remember, you know, Francis Chan, his dad used to do that kind of stuff. And he, you got to work, you got to make your terms correspond with biblical terms. We're not talking about cruelty, child abuse. What we're really talking about is training training the secret sauce that no baby wants is training and the bible calls that discipline so uh from my childhood anybody recognize this <laughs> so those of you online it's mr miyagi and daniel's son over his classic car and mr miyagi is telling him wax on wax off right and daniel's son throws a fit remember that he throws a fit, and then Mr. Miyagi starts throwing punches, and whoa, Daniel's son can suddenly do things he couldn't do because of what Mr. Miyagi told him to do. This is very much the same in our spiritual lives. We want to go to conferences that talk about the magic anointing and the quick fix and going to the mission field six months after you accept Jesus in your heart, and you'll be the next big thing, and you have the anointing of Paul, and this is the Joshua generation, and all you need is some, like, like Susan was talking about, experience. You don't need the Bible because Jesus will talk directly to you, blah, blah, blah. And the Bible says again and again and again that you need training. Well, training isn't spiritual. Yes, it is. Spiritual training is spiritual. Unspiritual training, which is what a lot of the church does, unfortunately, today, is, is not spiritual. But because we have a bad kind of training in the church, we, we polarize training from being spiritual. And like everything, that's what the devil does. It's a balance. It is a, it is a kind of a training, but it is a biblical, spiritual, Holy Spirit-led kind of a training. And if you want to be a player and you want to be a part of those miraculous stories, it's going to take some work. And, and the church just isn't about that right now. The church is about telling you you're awesome now. Go now. And then people go out in the battlefield and they get slaughtered. Or they think God let them down. Or they try to adopt a house full of kids and they don't know how to pray and they don't know how to believe. And then the kids do some horrendous thing or blow up their marriage or abuse one of their children. And they say, God, after all I've done for you, you've betrayed me. Except what the problem was, they never went through training. They didn't know how to play the game. They didn't know how to fight the battle. Anyone ever been there? Nobody. Half a hand, right? Some of you guys are there and you don't know it. You're like, I don't like what he's saying. I don't think it's true. I believe in the magic anointing. Find me someone on planet Earth that did not go through training that went the distance. From the time they got saved to death, fruitful ministry. Because you can't have an anointing, and if you don't go through training, you can have a little bit of, you know, rah-rah for a while, but you will fall. And that, that's, what's, that's what's happening in America all the time. Some of the biggest pa pastors are falling. The last 10 years has been maybe the ugliest time in American history. 
for big why because we don't prepare people adequately including the big pastors of the mega churches we don't prepare them adequately so here's my verse this is one aspect of training in the early morning while it was still dark jesus got up left the house went away to a secluded place and was praying there that doesn't look very much like training that looks like boring I don't want to do that. Um, but uh, we're looking at Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So I'm backtracking a little bit, going to the first chapter. I already talked through you with you know somewhere about this, kind of walked through this, but I just this thing has been on my heart for weeks. This says a lot about the kind of discipline that Jesus Christ had in his life. It's in the first chapter. Why? Jason told you guys. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is basically, it's understood to be Peter's recollections written through his disciple, John Mark. So Peter, in the first chapter, Mark says, hey, I'm going to write this book. Peter, tell me about your experiences. And Mark was there for some of it. Tell me about your intimate experiences with Jesus and what's the most important. He said, in the very first chapter, note that Jesus Christ got up super early before anything, and spent time in prayer. And he didn't put that there because he's like, I don't think we have enough verses in chapter one. Oh, man, let's see. We could do another miracle. We, no, he's showing you his lifestyle. So if I told you a story about some, you know, I went over and uh, spent the week with my great friend, you know, Patrick Mahomes uh, or Tom Brady, right? And um, some some quarterback and I said, you would not believe it, but at three in the morning, I woke up, I went to the restroom, dude is working out. Would you think, oh, it's probably just a rare occasion. He just decided to do it once. He just woke up. Ah, what the heck? I think I'll go work out. No, you put two and two together and you say, oh, that contributes to his absolutely amazing performance, right? Or some basketball player it's funny because every so often you'll get a great basketball player who isn't much of an athlete and history's greatest great basketball player wasn't much of an athlete is of course larry bird if i said i was staying at larry bird's house this some of you guys are like larry who look him up he was crazy he was crazy what he could do but uh i said i woke up at 3 a.m and you know he's out in the back with the floodlights on shooting three after three after three after three out you oh, that's why that's the secret sauce it's called hard work no is this god just decided to touch him with a fairy wand touch patrick mahomes with a fairy wand oh, they just had these amazing genetics no he didn't a lot of times people have average genetics below average genetics that's just in the realm of you know, there's a some great piano player. What's his name? Clay, Clayborne? Clay, what's his name? Anyway, I thought Susan would know. She's a cultured one in our family. But uh, anyway, dude does scales. I mean, just basic scales for hours every day. So his fingers are lightning fast. No, he just had the magic. It's very much the same in the Christian life. And Young Christians don't want to hear that. 
It's hard, stinking work. It's two and a half hours on Saturday going over hard things about biblical interpretation, like words like hermeneutics and genre, right? And historical context. And, you know, all, all these kind of things. You're like, I just love Jesus. I'm just going to hold hands and skip through the daisies with Jesus, and we're going to change the world. If you, if you actually look at the greatest people in history, the John Wesleys, even back to the Apostle Paul, you got to put in the time, and you have to know the Bible. you got to know all the key players, key figures. You have to know what genre is. That was a really good part of that discussion. So you're not interpreting the book of Revelation like you're ter- interpreting the book of Matthew or the book of Psalms like you're interpreting the book of Revelation or the book of Matthew. It's You have to learn these kind of things. But that's even, I mean, anyway, let me keep moving here. One of the most important things is you have to develop a disciplined prayer life. Magic doesn't just fall upon some people and not on others. If you read uh, Dick Eastman's No Easy Road, when I was a young man, like, man, what was I, 19, 20, no, 21. When I, I, I was confronted by that book, and boom, I had a eureka moment. Nobody who's anybody in the kingdom of God in the history of the world, I mean, anybody who's anybody who made an impact, had a significant prayer life. Outsiders think we're extremists because it's average for people in our church to strive to pray for one hour every single day. Um, And that's not extreme. If you look at history, that actually will give you a pulse. You will get in on some of the salvations and miracles or whatever because you're daily making contact with God. What in the world do you pray for for an hour? Well, First of all, you pray, God, help me to pray, because I have no idea what to do. That's your first prayer in that hour. But over time, I've heard some of you guys say, man, sometimes I can't stop once you once God shows you how to do it. So uh, anyway, Jesus, in the morning, this was his habit. And so uh, and as everything starts with biblical an understanding of Scripture. How old do you know the Scripture? Around here also, we have people, one of the first things people do is they memorize whole books of Scripture. That sounds so extreme. All the apostles knew the Bible backwards and forwards, and that's why they can drop some obscure verse from Psalm 68 in the middle of an epistle, or Paul can weave together verses from Isaiah and Psalms in Romans chapter 3 so effortlessly. You know, it's like you know your favorite musician, all their lyrics. And you could weave together a tapestry of their lyrics if you wanted to. Why? Because you've taken the time. They could do that with Scripture. So they know the Scripture, but then they also are, uh, if you study the Scripture, you become a person of prayer. But uh, in this church, we, we encourage you to know the Scripture better. And so I wanted to take this verse, and I wanted to break it down a little bit. So those of you who are starting to learn how, you know, some, to go a little deeper in Scripture, what would be a good thing to do? that we live in the internet age if i wanted to break this down a little bit more what would you do online if you wanted to go a little deeper into this say it again yeah blue letter bible who uses blue letter bible right so let's look up some of the original words i don't know greek we'll learn the alphabet those of you who are in the fraternities and the sororities you already got it down i'm serious and then just learn to put the word it, it, it functions very much like english so, uh, but you can go to the Blue Letter Bible, and then it can show you it in English, to show you it in, in Greek, and then you can look up the Greek words, and then sometimes the um, it's kind of an epiphany what the actual Greek word is, because it's funny because Jesus 
gets himself up in the morning, exact same word that they use for when he raises from the dead. Now, it doesn't mean he's raising himself from the dead, but I thought it was funny. Because if you want to be a disciplined person, some of you, this is all you're going to remember. You got to learn to raise yourself from the dead every single day. That's not what the verse is saying. I'm just saying that it's within that domain. But that, I just thought that's a great. It's like self, get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to. You know. And if you can't do it yourself, then you have friends. You say, roommate, throw a bucket of ice on me, friend. Seriously, you do what you got to do to get out of bed. That's what a soldier does. That's what someone who's serious does. If you want to get into shape, you're not going to get into shape unless you get out of bed. You want to get, you know, if you want to get high grades, high marks, go to Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, whatever, you got to get out of bed. You got to do your homework. You got to schedule your life around your priorities. So this word, it's uh, it's related to the word anastasis, which is resurrection. It's in the verbal form. But uh, so... I thought, well, that's that's fascinating. You want to be a player? Secret sauce. Get out of bed. Be be a soldier about it. Jesus was a soldier. Uh, you say, well, Jesus had an easy button. He was the son of God. Like that big red Staples commercial. You know, the, the easy button in the Staples. You push it and, uh, oh, I need to get up early. Boop. Oh, piece of cake. I'm bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I'm ready to go. No, he was just like us in everything. And the Bible says he was tempted in everything just like us. He did not rely on his divine nature. He put it aside and rely, and had to rely on the Father and the Holy Spirit just like we do. And so he had to learn how to be disciplined just like we do. It says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he shows us how to do it. So I was looking up the verses uh, and the words. Um, and that's another thing we do. We've got a Greek club around here. So people that, you know, you're not going to, some of you will become scholars. You don't have to be a scholar. You have to know what the Bible says and obey it. You want to be awesome? Learn what it says in English and obey it. You can learn what it says in 15 languages, and if you don't obey it, you're still going to be a spiritual pygmy. But anyway, so let's walk through this real quick. In the early morning. Want to be a player? Want to be on the team? Here's the uh, epicac, or the, uh, what do they used to give? Cod liver oil or whatever of the spirit. Work. Figure out this is training. Um, and that's pretty that's pretty easy in the Greek. It's just and early. While it was still very dark, which is an interesting word, it says uh, early in the morning while it was still night. So they combined it's in night, literally in night, very, very in night. So what are we talking about? Three o'clock. This is this is Jesus, how he became awesome. And guess what the apostles did? And guess what? Every awesome person we read biographies in this room. Guess what Amy Carmichael did? Guess what Hudson Taylor did? Guess what D.L. Moody did? Do you remember reading uh, about D.L. Moody? He said four o'clock every morning. He was up. Led a million people to Christ in his day. Every awesome person is like a soldier when it comes to getting out of bed. And two things they're going to do when they get out of bed. They're going to be in the Word. And they're going to be in prayer. Every day, it is the first thing they do. So while it's still dark, so it's still dark. It's early in the morning technically, but it's still pitch black out. Why? everybody's not going to bug you. I also like to look at it as a tithe of my time. God's going to give the first and the best. I got to give him the first and the best. Now, a soldier, you can't stay up till, you know, two o'clock every night watching movies because you won't be able to do this consistently. So you're going to have to push back your schedule, get to bed at 10 o'clock if you want to get up at four o'clock. Or maybe you need a little more time. 
That's what soldiers do. But this is training. This is Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. If you don't have a prayer life, that's why you have no miracles. Um, if you don't know the word, you don't even know what direction to go in in prayers. And, and that, that's even more foundational. So very early, while it's still dark, Jesus got himself up. He resurrected himself. Just kidding. It's not literally, but you need to resurrect yourself. You know, slap yourself. Whatever you got to do to be disciplined. Um, and there's that word. <laughs> that's related to anastasis. This is anastasis. It's a verb. Now watch this. We're going to learn from Jesus. He left. So you're laying in your bed and you're dormant. Okay, I'll pray now. It's four. Dear Jesus, I just pray for my roommate that you would. You got to get out of the comfortable place that is for sleeping or for eating or where roommates come through every 10 minutes and yell a time and a place where you can get down to business with God. So he left, and then the house here is in italics because it's not in the original, but it's like he left where he was. There's two verbs, though, and then he went to somewhere. He went away from somewhere and to somewhere. He went to his prayer place. And actually, it's interesting because it's basically, technically, it says a lonely wilderness, or like, like, a, like a, a place in the wilderness, but that may be slightly figurative. And scholars said, no, he went to a secluded place. Garden of Gethsemane was one of his favorite places. There's a garden. Uh, there's a lot of places on campus, you know, that are people aren't around at certain times. And you can find your special place. Like I said, I got a place up at Tuttle that I go. It's a There's a hike that I like to go on because it helps me to move. Got to figure out. Anyway, so he's like, do you do this? This is part of the secret sauce. I've been praying for an hour a day, for the most part, for 30 years. And uh, it's not legalism. It's not so that God loves me. I know you have to start with he loves me. If you think he's not going to love you unless you pray for an hour a day, you're missing the whole point. I told my wife, if I was a football coach, and you say, why do you use all these sports analogies? Because I'm a guy, and uh, the Apostle Paul did it too. If I'm a football coach and I have two sons, I love them equally. I'm going to give them equal portions of my will, right? When I die, uh, my inheritance, they have equal access to me and all the benefits and blessings that I have as a father. But I'm a football coach, and my one son does what he needs to do, gets up early, trains, listens, studies. My other son lays around, eats potato chips, and watches movies and plays on his cell phone for six hours a day, right? Um, who's going to be starting in the game? Which one do I love more? I love them both exactly the same. They're my sons. So you got to get over this. I'm not talking about God's going to love you more if you do this. I'm saying you are not going to experience the fullness of life that you are yearning for, the closeness to God that you're yearning for, the revelation that you're yearning for, and the impact. There is very, except the direct presence of God, I, I'm telling you, which you also have access to if you take your time. If you cut time out, he will show up and meet you. But I, I don't know if this is, I, I'm not going to try to evaluate things. But next to direct presence of God, being used by God to impact a life. Man, if you're on drugs, you won't need them anymore. Once, you, once God uses you 
to transform somebody life, somebody's life because you're cooperating with him and his Holy Spirit is. But you got to get in the game and you got to be like Jesus and you have to be disciplined like a soldier, like an athlete. So Jesus gets himself up in the morning, self, get up. I'm tired. Who cares? I'll fall asleep. Then we're going to walk. I'll fall asleep in my bed. Then we're leaving the room and we're going to a garden, right? We're, I'm going to make this happen every day. I'm going to connect with God. But but what if I don't feel like it? Is it really? It doesn't really count if I don't feel like it. Yes, it really counts. If a farmer goes out and sticks seed in the ground, and he feels like it, and another farmer does it, just wills it because he knows his family's going to starve if he doesn't. Who's going to get a harvest? Both of them. The guy that felt like it and the guy that didn't feel like it because they were they were motivated by something greater than feelings, like Susan was talking about. You do it because you got to do it. And if you can't get over this hurdle, you're always going to be trying to get off the runway spiritually. You'll never be able to. Uh, I'm sure maybe half the class wasn't just like, wahoo, two hours of studying on Saturday. Yeah, I'm so excited. My brain's going to be like, you know, wrung out like a sponge and I'm going to be overwhelmed with the material I don't know. Right. Like, no, I'm looking towards the harvest. I'm looking towards the outcome. So I'm going to be there. So then he goes to his wilderness place, his lonely place, and there he prays every day, all the time, because that is part of the secret recipe for success as a Christian. I had this conversation with so many people. I can't do it. I'm just too tired. You could do it. It's a piece of cake. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Um, how about if you don't get up this week every day, you take me to the steakhouse on Friday night and I get to order whatever the heck I want off the menu. And you're like, oh man, I don't want to get up. Oh man, I don't want to lose a hundred bucks. I'm out. I'm up. Seriously. Or you tell your roommate, if I'm not up, pull my sheets off, throw cold water on. We There's ways to get it done if you really believe it's important. But this is so essential. So essential, so essential, so essential. If you're going to fulfill God's purpose for your life, it's not dumb magic. It's not some secret thing called the anointing. There's hard work to it. There's meeting God. There's training, just like an athlete. So anyway, I don't have my glasses on, so I don't even know why I have this slide up there. So I'll just go right ahead. And uh, 2 Timothy 2. So Jesus is gone. The Apostle Paul is the big player in the book of Acts, the New Testament. He writes most of the letters. Let's see how Paul does it and then what Paul tells the people who he's training. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. So this is the discipleship process that Jesus talks about in Matthew 28. Everything I taught you, you teach the next generation and then teach them. So this is just Paul kind of reiterating that in his own words. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. They don't get distracted from the mission. They try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying. Think about it, Tim. Timothy. I looked at Tim when I said that. So think about it. 
like an athlete, like a farmer, like a soldier, you have to train, you have to be committed, you have to do things a certain way. And this is part of the package that you have to teach the next generation. That one of the reasons that we have massive churches and in a church of a thousand people or more, they'll say, how many of you had a significant answer to prayer? How many of you have ever led a soul to Christ? How many of you have ever been used by God to see something supernatural? And you'll have a church of a thousand people and people will just, I don't even know what he's saying. I don't even know what that means. I don't led anyone to Christ. I don't even know how to share my faith. I don't. Um, and it's because we haven't given, we haven't taught people how to train, how to connect with the Lord, how to hear from God themselves, how to obey, how to surround themselves with a community that's going to push them, spur them on, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, we have our big churches, but I hate to say this right now in America, we're like, it's like a romper room, like almost all the big churches from God's perspective, it's like a bunch of two-year-olds. And they don't want this. They don't want this sauce. They don't want to hear. No, don't go into missions for a couple of years. You can't even tell me the books of the Bible in order. So, don't. No, 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 no. You need to be mighty in Scripture. Paul said, "Don't lay hands on anyone too quickly, because then they're going to screw up, and then you're all going to look stupid." I don't mean to point at anybody. My fingers like this. I'm not trying. But that's what. That's the way we do in America. It's like, no, no, no. Take a deep breath. Take your time. Train. Learn to get up early. Learn to learn patterns of discipline. Learn how to surround yourself with people who are better than you. Don't be all intimidated. God doesn't love them more than you, but they know more than you. They can do more than you. I, I look for people like that. If I can find someone who knows more, who's better at something, I want to be friends with that person. I want to learn what they, they know. So this is what Paul tells Timothy. You got to be like a farmer. Farmers are disciplined people. Athletes. Athletes are disciplined people. And soldiers, same thing. Let's see. This is what Paul says about himself. Paul, how do you how do you order your life? He says, "Don't you know that those who run in a race all run? Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may win." Now we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is your entrance into the kingdom. And Paul says, says elsewhere, what you build on that, as far as your understanding, what you're taught, how you think it all works. He said, some people are going to stand before God and it's all going to burn up and they're going to stand there. Yes, they're saved, but they're going to be humiliated. And there's other people that are going to be high-fiving. I always think of the Apostle Paul standing before Jesus. What do you got for me, Paul? He says, um, the Gentiles... The, the Gentiles, everybody who's not a Jew, that's my gift to you. What do you got for me, D.L. Moody? I could have done more, but brought you a million. What you got for him? What do you got for him? We're not talking about salvation or being loved. You are loved. He died for you to get you into the game. And again, it's not just about what you're going to accomplish. That's part of it. But it's actually as you grow in intimacy with him, that's really what you want. You want to get to know him. But as you get to know him, he's got big things for you to do. And it's really fun. But apart from this training piece, you're, not, you're just going to be frustrated. And the church isn't into this right now. Should I do this? I will. Yeah, because I think the church needs a rebuke. 
our good friend Joe. We get some, this is kind of funny. In this church, we got two polar kinds of people here. We like to scrape people off the road with a spatula who are insane, demonized, addicted. We love to do that. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But we also like the super high achievers that want to be the next, you know, Hudson Taylor. They want to die on the battlefield. They want to go out and do great things for Jesus. Um, they didn't come from brokenness and they have a lot. I mean, they, they got a lot of momentum, a lot of things moving in their direction. And it just, it works out really great because the people that are relatively healthy and going for it create a nice culture for people that are broken to come into and figure things out really quick. So anyway, so people tend to go to seminary and along with what we're doing here. And of course, we know that Joe got into, I don't know, from my perspective coming up, it was like the Cambridge, Harvard, Oxford of Bible-believing seminaries, which was Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He got in and now he's studying. And he's in a spiritual formation track. And they said, we're going to really push you guys. We're going to really, really, you, you pastors, you guys training to be the next generation of pastors, impact players in the kingdom, in the church in America. We're really going to push you. And spiritually, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. See if you can hang. All right. Just see if you can do this. Word and prayer. Okay. Right. Just settle in. Try to do 20 minutes a day. I said, that's what we gave to the homeless meth addict who just got, I mean, we'll start you with 20 minutes. We'll see if we can get out of that in the first week or so. And then we'll try to get you up to an hour in about a month. And then the goal is going to be a couple hours a day with the Lord. Church doesn't want to hear this. Look through history. Any player, any player knows. Be like Jesus. Early morning, still dark. Get out of your comfort zone. Go to your special place. Meet with the Lord. Transact with him. While nobody can bug you, it's too early. You're not going to be getting texts. You're not going to be getting calls. And you can give your first slice of your time. I like what David Wilkerson said, one of the great Christians of the previous generation. He gave God, I think he gave him exactly 10% of a 24-hour day as his tithe. That's a pretty good concept. Gee, maybe that's why he came up with the most successful drug rehabilitation program in the history of planet Earth with an 80-something percent success rate, which the secular ones can't even get, can't even break 10. Beside the fact that he would preach to stadiums and tens of thousands of people came to Christ under his ministry. Could there be a correlation? Gee, I don't know. He was a soldier. So what's the problem? Why can't we get ourselves out of bed? Why can't we make it to Saturday seminar? Why can't we study the Bible? Why? The problem is, Babies, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's a physical child, but foolishness is bound up in your spiritual hearts and minds when you don't know much as a Christian. Does a fool know they're a fool? No, a fool's a know-it-all. That's what a fool is. A fool is a know-it-all. A wise person is whatever the opposite of a know-it-all is. I got a lot to learn. That's what a wise person is. They're always gathering. They're like a bee, you know, going flower to flower to flower. What can I learn today? What's new to learn? A fool's like, no, I've always thought, you know, they want to argue with everybody, even though everybody's like, that guy's, you know, dumb as a rock. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's going to argue with you. He'll go, to, you know, let's go, let's fight. So we need to come out and say, God, maybe I'm a fool. I don't want to get up in the morning because it's legalism. 
That's foolishness. Because you believe some lie. Ultimately, the reason you want to get up is because you don't feel like it. And your feelings are attached to what you believe. And so you believe something nonsensical about what I'm talking about here. It's not necessary. Prayer doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, the reason that we're not soldiers is because we believe lies. And that's why we study the Bible, and that's why we come together, and that's why we hang out with people who do it better than we do, so that we can change the way we think. I have a really good thought right now, and I don't want to lose it. Dom and I, who's one of those people we scraped off the road with a spatula, who's now God's transforming his life. Amen. Hallelujah. Back there. Um, we were at a coffee shop yesterday. Former pastor came in. And we just started talking to him. Not a pastor. It was a coach, football coach, who also happened to be a pastor when Dom was nuts. Just a young kid. And you know his story. You know, just very tragic, sad story. But now Dom's figuring things out. This guy's talking about how some 17-year-old girl using meth just died because of this whole fentanyl plague that's hitting everything. And then he tells about someone, even some meathead who with roids got fentanyl and died. It just started stirring up my heart because I'm sitting here with the, one of the latest miracles in our church. And you guys know we can do this. We can do this because we're doing it. And I don't care what anybody else says about us. And I know there's some other churches that are doing it, but I know there's a lot of churches that aren't doing it. And they're critical and they're saying, you're trying too hard and you're pushing too hard and you're this and you're that. It's like, all right, I'll see you in heaven. You accepted the gospel. God bless you. You can go back to your church. But you guys, we're, we're doing it. And I'm thinking, how many doms are out there that need some people with the stuff? And we can't get out of bed to meet with the Lord so that we're a player and so that we have a church full of players. But we do. we got a church full of players. We're getting it. We're figuring it out. we got four houses. But we need 50 houses for Manhattan. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing to see a whole room full of people that are willing to study for two hours. We need, we need a stadium full of people that will study for two hours on a Saturday. And it's great that we got one little puny church in the middle of nowhere where it's common for people to pray for an hour a day and we're starting to have all-night prayer meetings. But you know what? We are just starting to approach normal and we're starting to see some miracles. Did that 17-year-old girl have to die? One of you guys could have been working next to her at whatever. Really young? Sonic. Maybe a little older? A real estate office. Right? Whatever. You could have been the player. You could have been that person. You could have been Richard, who was the answer to prayer, who said, hey, let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. Let me connect you to my wife. You don't have to die. God loves you. We can do this. But we have to do the training. We have to do the discipline piece. We have to get over the silly, it's all magic, dumb magic. God does what he wants to do. No, God cooperates with people who know what's, they understand what's going on and they know how to work with him. So let me see here. Some of the fun lies. I'm checking my clock here. We're good. Some of the fun lies, not fun lies, destructive, satanic, ugly, disgusting lies you got to get rid of. Prayer doesn't really change anything. Prayer changes me. Prayer doesn't move God. 
what's going to happen is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. That is, that is like a plague on the church of Jesus Christ right now. If it be thy will, and then this just offends people when they hear it. It's because this stronghold's gone so deep in the church. That's why so few people are seeing anything. God does not want you to have your depression. God does not want you to have your anxiety. God does not want your lost friends and relatives to be lost. He doesn't want you to be bound by sin. He doesn't want you to be stuck in your fruitlessness, whatever. He, there's so many things he wants to give us. Prayer is the way we take it. This prayer doesn't change anything. Oh, but I got a PhD and I've proven it with philosophical, theological reasoning. And I've quoted the church fathers and the reformers and everything. I can prove it now. Well, no, it's, it's prayer moves God's hand. And we have to, we have to be, this is one of the lies. Oh, how about this one? I'm never going to be on the A team anyway. You know, yeah, Tad and Susan, of course, God's going to do miracles in their lives as a pastor. They've been missionaries, you know, Tad knows Greek. No, you're, you're supposed to be on the A team. Most of you aren't going to be full-time pastors. That's fine. Figure out, you, so you're going to be in places where I'll never get to. I need God to reveal himself to me first. No, you need to obey. He's never going to reveal himself to you. You're, you're like a little disobedient kid running all over the place and nightmare, little nightmare Susie or Johnny, or sorry, Susan, not Johnny or whatever. No, you gotta you gotta surrender, submit, come to him and do what he says, and then he'll start revealing more and more of himself to you. And then yeah, that's pretty wonderful. But don't tell me you need God to reveal himself to you first before you're gonna do what he says. I need I need I need to feel it. I need that fire in my belly. You know, if if I'm not if I'm not feeling it, what what use are my prayers really? <laughs> they still work. God wants you just to believe what he said and say, I believe it, and I'm gonna stand until I see it. Sometimes you're going to feel it. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to want to come to church. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to feel like loving your roommate. But a lot of times you're not. Right? You just do it. If God really loves me, he would just dot, dot, dot. What do you know what he would do and wouldn't do and how he does things? You don't know the first thing. You know, you don't know how to change the oil in your car. How, what do you know what God knows? What he does, why he does things. Don't tell him what's up. Do what he says and let him tell you how he works, how he operates, how to make it happen. Oh, I'm afraid of what God's going to ask me to do. You're only afraid of him because you don't know him very well. The better you get to know him. I love what it said about Deal Booty. It said, uh, R.A. Tori, Deal Booty was talking to him one time. He said, if God wanted me to jump out of that window right now, I would do it. Because everything he asked me to do is good, and it's going to end up in blessing. And once you really get to know him, the only, the only reason you're afraid is because you don't know him well. So start showing up and let your prayer be, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. And I guarantee you, when you find him, he's better than you thought he was. Or, yeah, why would he make me get up? That's legalism. Why would he make me? That's just, he's not making you do anything. You can lay there like a slug and have a completely fruitless life and be humiliated when you stand before him in the end if you want to. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to promote you. He's trying to give you life, meaning, and purpose, etc. But we've got to figure out, God, what is the lie that is keeping me from getting in the game? And then ultimately, this is it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. You know, in, in political situations, they'll burn a political person in effigy. They'll like make a stuff, you know, and they'll burn it like to show how much they hate it. We should burn feelings. In effigy, we should have like a ceremony where we just make this doll called feelings and we burn it because we don't 
We're like, we are no longer going to bow to you, feelings. We're going to do what we need to do. And this was kind of fun. I was having a talk with somebody yesterday. And one of these days, we are going to... Now, this is an act, not an actual photograph of Jesus. But the Bible says the Son of Man is going to come in all his glory and all the angels with him, and he's going to separate the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And he's going to put the sheep on his, which one, right? The goat's on his left. Yeah, see, the left is bad. Just kidding. Um, and, and he's going to say, depart from me, accursed ones. And then he's going to say, you know, come, you blessed ones. Except We're all going to be judged someday. Now, we get in the door because we're born again. But he also it says we're going to be judged by our works. And it says some people are going to have been saved but have done absolutely nothing. Jesus is going to look you in the eye if you're born again. And you say, what, what did you do for me? The Moravians used to say that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. I came down there and I became one of you. Infinite God created it. I became one of you. Subjected myself to humiliation and death, etc. because I loved you. And then I passed the baton to you and I asked you to go out and rescue this sin, cursed, Satan, oppressed world. What do you got for me? I'm going to look you in the eye. Did you get up in the morning? Because you had to get up in the morning because we needed to make contact, right? You need to learn a lot of stuff. Did you learn Did you learn what you needed to know to get in the game and be effective? And then did you figure out what your gifts are? Did you figure out what your place is in the body? Did you bear fruit? Did you participate in my, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, my heart is broken, but I, I've given the task to you. How, how did you do? Did you get out of bed? Well, no, no. Well, why not? I, I, I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like it. I didn't, I, I didn't feel like getting up like Jesus did early. That's ultimately what you're going to say. I didn't feel like it. I, I don't want to be there. I want to say, you know what? Feelings would hit me at, I like to get up at five. Whenever feelings came around and told me to stay in bed, I punched it right in the mouth. And I walked over my feelings and I went and did what I needed to do. The only thing that I'm going to be ashamed of when I see Jesus is I know how to do stuff and I just haven't done a whole lot of it. But I will say, you know, even looking at some of you guys and a lot of people that I've been able to impact around the world, I got, I got so-and-so and so-and-so. I don't have millions, but I got hundreds. And their stories are pretty awesome. And then they re replicate and they make, and I don't think God requires millions. He said some people are given a little bit. Some people are given a lot, talents, et cetera. But uh, you don't want to stand before God and say, I didn't feel like it. I thought other things were more important. I wanted to play on my smartphone. I wanted to whatever. This is the secret sauce, my friends, that I'm talking. There's other secret sauce, but this is one of them. Learn how to become a person of discipline. If you don't know how to do it, talk to somebody. Let a disciplined person show you how they do it. But don't be whipped around by your feelings and what you want to do or not do what you should do because, you, you know, figure out what lies are holding you back. Tear them down because God, what he started in this church is multiplying. It's growing. We used to have one house. And then we had two houses. And then we had three houses. And then we had four houses. And now we're looking at, you know, getting a property. And we used to have Tad, the teacher, and now we've got all kinds of teachers in the church and people that have gone through what we've done. And they're 
you know, people going into ministry. And now we've got at least 10, 15 people that can cover for me when I go and they're going to be teaching the seminars and we're multiplying, we're expanding, right? But to make that happen, you have to be a person who's in training, a person of discipline. So now we've got to be close. Yep, we're close. So thanks for listening. This was not a fun sermon, but I had this conversation three or four times this week. It is not a magic thing called the anointing that someone slaps you on the forehead at a conference and then you're ready to go. You are going to face plant and be very disappointed with yourself and God and confused. You have to go through that process and it's years. It's not, you're not going to be locked away in an ivory tower doing nothing. You're going to be trying things and it'll work. You'll try it again. It won't work. Hey, what just happened? You go talk to people who know how it works. Oh, this is, oh, okay, go try it again. And then pretty soon you'll be really good across the board at a whole bunch of things. And then unfortunately, a lot of you guys are going to have to leave because you're going to have to go and make an impact somewhere else. But then we have this network of wonderful people and every town we go to, we'll have somewhere to stay and people to fellowship with. But I want to continue seeing God. I love looking at the people in this church, especially this. I love all of you guys, but especially the super broken ones that came into the kingdom. It's just like, God is real. It's all real. We get to partner with him, but we have to be these, these people that are willing to do what babies aren't. Take that sauce, become disciplined so that we can become players. So let's pray. Father, Come before in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us how it was done. Get up early in the morning while it's still dark. Get out of our comfort zone. Go to a place where we can engage you every single day. And then from there, you'll tell us what to do, where to go, where to be. You'll shape our spirit. You'll reveal mysteries to us through your word. Help us to be that church. We love you. Thank you that it's not hard. It's not hard to understand. And by your spirit, it's not hard to do because you give us the power to do it. You're just asking us to surrender, submit our wills, and say yes. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.